Amen. Um, well, it's great to be with you at last. Um, and some of you may be thinking, I kind of recognize her. I'm not sure how or why. And it's because about two and a half years ago, I was here for about three months. I was having some time out from theological college due to bereavement. And so I came to this church just for that time. And it was a really welcoming and warm, loving place to be. Um, and I prayed at the time. I said, God, if this could be my curacy church out of all the churches that could possibly become available within the diocese at just the right time, love it if it could be this church. And here I am. So thank you, Jesus. I'm really grateful. And thank you too for making me feel so welcome this time around as well. Um, so anyway, enough about me. Let's pray. I'm just going to pray for us as we begin. Holy Spirit, come. Open our hearts and mind to what you are saying to us as a body and as individuals. Speak to us afresh and make us ready to receive, in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of my favorite Bible passages is one which is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, because I really think it describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the Christian journey in life. And it's when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And that's what you've been doing in your sermon series, isn't it? It's been following Jesus um, in Luke's gospel um, from Samaria to Jerusalem as he's been walking with determination and resolve towards the cross. And this morning we've arrived at Luke 17. Nice, easy passage to start me off. Um, and it's a kind of conclusion to a longer section about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom is and who gets to enter it. And just before this, we heard last week, Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees and challenging them because they have been living in a way that is opposing the kingdom of God. So now Jesus is rephrasing those same challenges and directing them towards his disciples. So this morning, we're going to be thinking about two things that are fundamental to living in the kingdom of God. These are extraordinary things but actually should be completely ordinary, everyday parts of Christian living. The first is justice, and the second is mercy. So firstly, justice. I'd like to begin with a challenge today, that our physical living, the, the way that we treat matter, matters. The way that we treat matter on this earth matters. And we've seen the repercussions, haven't we, of our, our physical greed with the environmental crisis. We've seen the dehumanization of people through consumerism. And we see the imbalance of wealth and power on our doorstep. And in verse 3, Jesus says, so watch yourselves. And the word watch or be alert to is the same word used earlier in chapter 12 when he said, watch yourselves Look out for the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The yeast that so easily becomes entangled in our lives, so easily gets into the mix. This kind of outward appearance of piety and spirituality and holiness, yet inwardly self-seeking, disregarding of the poor and the weak and the sick on their doorstep. He says in verse 1 to 3, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck 
than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Now, some commentators say that the stumbling here is to do with sin, causing others to sin or to fall into temptation. But I'd like to suggest that within the context of the last few chapters and within the wider context of the book of Luke as a whole, where there's a particular interest in the marginalized and the poor, the little ones, that stumbling Jesus is referring to is mostly to do with the struggles and suffering of this life that bring about affliction. And we can see this because he's relating back to the parable that Sean addressed last week, that parable about a rich man who feasts and consumes and dresses in expensive purple clothing, while at his gate there is a man who has nothing, who is sick and hungry. So Jesus picks up that same parable and directs it now at the disciples. He says, these stumbling blocks, poverty, sickness, hunger, tragedy do happen in life. And perhaps for some of us, these things are things we've experienced. But woe to anyone through whom they come. And it's a really stern warning, isn't it? It's really quite harsh. He says, it would be better spiritually if you were to die than to go on living in such a hypocritical way. So be aware, don't be outwardly people who appear to be spiritual and godly, yet allow those on their doorstep to suffer, who cause injustices to happen and who turn a blind eye. Now, don't know if you know, but figures in the UK say that poverty rate is the highest now than it's been for the last 100 years, and that analysis was made pre-pandemic. This is the stuff that Jesus cares about. He cares about justice. He walks alongside those people we don't often see or we just try not to see because it's easier that way. Um, John Taylor talks about the opening of our eyes towards other people as a fundamental aspect of Christian mission. The gift of sight that enables you to see every person through the loving gaze of Jesus. God, open our eyes open our eyes to the injustice around us. And next, mercy. Jesus goes on to say in verse three and four, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And here Jesus recalls the very well-known parable of the prodigal son, where the son willfully and repeatedly sins against his own father, and yet when he comes back, he's welcomed home with wide open arms. In chapter 7, Jesus is having dinner with the Pharisees, do you remember? And a woman from the town who was really well known for sinful living, for living in a sinful way, comes and anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. And the Pharisees are horrified How could Jesus, this holy man, this rabbi, this man like us, allow such a woman to touch him? And Jesus says, you hypocrites, those who have been forgiven much, love much. But you who think you don't need forgiveness, love little. And the number seven Jesus uses, he says, even if they sin against you seven times a day, in biblical terms, that is the number of completeness. So he's saying, without limit, over and over again, you must forgive. Just as your heavenly father has forgiven you without limit, you must do likewise. 
Now, this is definitely not an instruction to be a pushover, to be a doormat. Um, if you're experiencing injustice or abuse, notice the passage does talk about giving rebuke. There is room here for confronting that which has harmed us. And sometimes harm comes through those who we know the most, who are nearest to us, doesn't it? And we know that we do confront those we love because confrontation is often the prerequisite to reconciliation and that's what we want, isn't it? But we're still called to forgive. It's the kingdom way. It's the natural way for Christians to live. And it's not easy, is it? It's hard. I find it really hard, but it's the best thing. It's the best thing for us, and Jesus knows that. Now, if you're reluctant to believe what Jesus says here, I have found some interesting scientific research that you might find interesting. Psychologist Fred Luskin writes, in careful scientific studies, forgiveness training has been shown to reduce depression, increase hopefulness, decrease anger, improve spiritual connection, and increase emotional self-confidence. And isn't it interesting that our bodies and our minds feel the repercussions of when we hold on to unforgiveness? And that's because we're designed for this. We're designed to have the freedom of forgiveness, not the burden of unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as kingdom people, we're transformed by the Spirit so that we might release the same freedom on earth. And it's interesting that Jesus is telling the disciples that they must forgive and forgive without limit. I mean, these were the guys that were hanging out with Jesus. They were eating with him. They would have heard all the parables and all the stories that he told to the Pharisees. They would have heard it all and seen how Jesus acted. And yet Jesus is still reminding them, watch out. I was really fortunate to grow up in a Christian family, so I've been a Christian now for about 36 years. Yes, I am. I'm 36. I know I don't look it. Um, and some of you um, may have um, been Christians for far longer. Some of you maybe are just getting to know Jesus. But I think there's a warning here for all of us that we're still capable of this same hypocrisy. Still we still need to be warned to be watchful and be alert to these things. And I think often these things start in a small way, don't they? For me, I know I need to be on my guard. I need to be watchful when the people I'm interacting with are behind a screen on social media. Or maybe they're behind a wheel. I do get road rage. So um, if you come across me in the car and I'm, I'm not being particularly forgiving, just you're, you're welcome to call me out on this. Um, it's something I'm working on. Um, and these seem like trivial examples, don't they? But... But actually, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? It's a bit like yeast. It's hard to notice. It creeps in when we're tired or stressed. And I know that it results in a hardening of my heart and a way of behaving that creeps into my everyday life. And I wonder if you can just have a think for a moment and see if you can remember all the people that you interacted with or came across yesterday. And I know that we're in a pandemic and... It's not quite what it should be. Um, and maybe if you're online, you're, you might even be social, um, you might be self-isolating, so that's really hard for you. Um, but you might want to think about some WhatsApp messages or some interactions on social media or an email or two. Or maybe if you've been out and about a walk and you pass some people on your walk or in the shop or the person in the queue in the shop. So just take a few seconds, see if you can visualize in a day 
As I was preparing this, I felt really challenged by the thought that every interaction I had that day was an opportunity to minister God's love, to see those people the way Jesus sees them, to live in a way of justice and mercy. And did I do that? Probably, if I'm honest, probably not. Not with every interaction. And the disciples go on to say in verse 5, increase our faith. And in the Gospel of Luke, the word faith generally has to do with faithful living. So living in a way that is faithful. They're saying, make us faithful people. And Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that will produce a way of living that is abundant and extraordinary and powerful. If you live faithfully in the everyday small interactions, if we all did that as the body of Christ, if the 31 million Christians in the UK lived in a way that was filled with justice and mercy, just imagine the impact that would have. And finally, we have this parable. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourselves ready and wait for me a while, wait for me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was supposed to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In summing up with this parable, Jesus is saying, don't be like the Pharisees who expect honor and reward for what they should be doing anyway. The servant in this story seemed to be expecting special treatment for doing the job he was supposed to be doing. And the disciples, like the Pharisees, were capable of this, this sort of attitude. You remember, um, back in Luke 9, the disciples have just seen Jesus transfigured on the mountain and the great patriarchs of their faith, Moses and Elijah, appear in glorious splendor and a cloud from heaven and a voice from God saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And then the disciples get down from the mountain and they start arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who gets to have honor from Jesus and be at the right hand of Jesus for eternity. And Jesus sees what's going on and he takes a child and he puts that child by his side. And he says, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the least among all of you is the greatest. Don't puff yourselves up. Don't inflate yourselves above others, but lift up the lowly. Welcome the little ones. Don't cause the little ones to stumble. So this is a challenge to live in a way that is extraordinary. The standard is high in terms of being people of justice and mercy. But actually Jesus is saying this is the ordinary, natural, everyday lives that Christians should be living. Forgiveness is not extraordinary in the kingdom of God. Seeking justice and compassion, working for the restoration of all people. This is the way of living that brings freedom and fullness of life because it's what we were created to do and who we were created to be, to take up our cross daily and follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, humble King, we say that we are sorry for 
our hypocrisy. Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to those around us. In our everyday lives, help us to be people who honour you, who care about justice and mercy, who look to you, Jesus, as our pattern of our daily living. We pray that you would come now, would you transform our hearts and our minds, conform us to your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen.